You're listening to the Calvary Church Audio Experience, designed to empower and encourage you throughout your week. Set it right here on your heart. I want everybody to say it out loud with all you've got. Come on, say eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive, a mouth to confess, all the good things. Come on, y'all, put some stank on that. Say all the good things. Christ has already provided for me. Now be a blessing. Just look at the person next to you. Say it's for you too. Come on, it's for you too. Now if you're ready for God's word, clap your hands and just give him the best praise you've given him all day long. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Well, what's up, Calvary fam? And I want to welcome you to part eight. Can you believe part eight of this 14-part series as we make our way through the entire book of Philippians. We're calling this series Gospel-Fueled Joy. I want you to go to Philippians right now. I want to welcome everyone in person today as we're still in phase two next month, moving into another phase of reopening, and you'll be hearing more about that. I want to welcome everybody tuning in on Line. Today, we're going to continue looking at the last 12 verses of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, and I have called this talk, Choosing Gospel-Fueled Joy Every Day. And I want you to remember, I love this book. This book is all about cultivating an authentic faith that's filled with joy no matter what the circumstances look like right now in your life. You can have joy. And many people think that joy is simply a matter of luck. In other words, if you're happy, if you're joyous in life, well, you just got lucky. But the Bible teaches something different. The Bible teaches that deep joy, real happiness can be chosen. It can be learned as you simply what? Abide in Christ, in Mr. Joy himself every day. And the reason for this is that joy, how many of you know joy is a fruit of the spirit of Christ in you? That's why Paul told the Galatians, remember that the fruit of the spirit is what? He said, love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, he goes on and on with nine different qualities. The second one, he says, is joy. Now, I pointed out back in week one of this series that you'll never really experience happiness and joy if you make those things the goal in life. Joy and happiness aren't goals. They are results. How many of you know right believing, right behaving? This is all a part of abiding in the life of Christ. So joy isn't something we have to pray for in order to receive because the Bible says we already have the fruit of the Spirit residing where? Put your hand on your belly. Just remind yourself, I've got everything I need packed right here inside of me, right there. The fruit of the Spirit residing inside of you. You've got a new heart. You've got a new nature. The baptism uh, of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you see, many of you, the reason why I bring all of this up is because many of you, the, the, the fact is, you, you, you kind of think along these lines right here. Well, if I'm really struggling with depression, if I'm really struggling with despair, 
I got to ask God. I got to beg God to give me more joy. And that may sound right on the surface, but it's wrong because the problem with that kind of thinking and praying is that it ignores the fact that you already have God's joy residing inside of you uh, by the Spirit. So what you really mean, I think, when you ask God to give you more joy is that you really want to experience the fruit of His Spirit worked out in your life. It's not that you're grasping for something you know, out there somewhere, over there, up there. No, remember, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, verse 12 and 13, that we are working out. Come on, you saw it in verse 12, 13. I think of this chapter right here. You are working out what God has already worked in. So when you pray, you're not praying for God to bring something in. You are praying for God to show you how to work it out. And the reason I bring this up is because, in essence, when you ask God to give you joy, you could be uh, unintentionally agreeing with a false idea. That's called unbelief. And that false idea is that you're somehow incomplete in Christ. And yet, Colossian tells you, as a matter of fact, lift up your hands and just receive it right now. Colossians tells you that you are complete in Christ. And Peter tells you that you have everything you need for life and godliness. And John tells you that you have received of his fullness and grace upon grace. You are full in his fullness. You are complete in his completeness. And if I'm talking to any believers, clap your hands and give God praise. Come on. Somebody just holler, thank you, Jesus. So God's already provided everything. That's the message I preach, that God has already provided everything. He's already forgiven you. He's already healed you. He's already commanded his blessings upon you and your finances. He's already given you love and joy and peace Uh, You don't need God to respond to you. Watch this. You need to learn how to respond to him. I'm going to give you a powerful truth that has changed my life, and it's this one here. It's easier to defend something you already have than to go get something you don't have. (laughs) That is powerful, but this is where so many of us are missing it. We know that God can do all these things, but here's the truth. We don't think he's done anything yet, and so we start from a position of unbelief, and many of us are crossways with the word of God, and in regards to joy, let me help somebody today choose joy. When it comes to joy, the proper way to do this is not to beg for anything, believer, because you are sons, and sons enjoy an inheritance not a reward so if you've already got it the proper way to do this is Proverbs 18 21 where you understand that death and life are in the power of your tongue and you've got to begin to release joy over depression and release joy over despair as a matter of fact I don't care how you feel tomorrow stand up and say I speak joy before you even pick up your phone and look at emails and texts 
Facebooks and Instagram, stand up, lift up your head and say, I speak joy. I speak God's joy. God, I speak the joy that you have already put on the inside of me. And in the name of Jesus, I release it to flow through every area of my life. God, I thank you. Your joy today is my strength. And if anybody's thankful for joy, go ahead and give him praise right now. Come on. This is how we start cooperating with God. This is how we choose to experience gospel-fueled joy every day. If y'all are getting this, somebody holler yes. So then the process of discipleship, we talked about this last week. It's not about trying. Oh, God, that's religion. Trying, I'm trying. I'm trying, I'm trying to become something that, you know, I am not yet. No, in reality, let me tell you, discipleship is about you working out what God has already worked in you by his grace. And I see it like this. It's as if the Holy Spirit is like an artist. And he's chiseling away at a rock in order to create a beautiful sculpture. Now, now think about this. An artist doesn't create a sculpture. The artist actually reveals the sculpture because the sculpture's already on the inside. <laughs> See, the sculpture's already in the stone. He just has to cut away what isn't supposed to be there in order to reveal what's already hidden on the inside. And y'all, I'm talking to somebody today that it's the same with us when it comes to discipleship. It's never about us trying to convince God about what we think we should look like. It's about God convincing us about how he's always seen us. We are knowing more and more, Paul says, as we have always been known you are knowing more how God has always seen you you're knowing more how God has always known you in the beloved wow so it's not about putting more on you the reality is you're actually taking a whole lot off to reveal what's already there Lazarus come forth life now take the grave clothes off him. You know what I realize as a gospel preacher? I'm not putting anything on. You know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm taking off the old grave clothes, the old ways of thinking, the old ways of believing so that you can truly see who you are and believe it, that you've died. That's why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ now, watch this, lives in me. You got the treasure in you. Some of you are tired and worn out on a treasure hunt and don't realize the treasure's already in you. Yeah. Christ lives in me, the life I now live in the body. He says, I live by faith in this. I live by faith. I live by faith. My journey as a disciple is about what? Living by faith in Jesus. Not me trying, trying to become a better person. Trying to lift myself up. Look, that's the world's pursuit. Because they don't have the hope of Jesus living in and through them by the Spirit. So again, my proposition for you is simple. Stop praying 
Matter of fact, some of our prayers sound more like begging. Stop begging for joy and start choosing joy every day as a fruit that God has already deposited within you. And I'm going to try to show you from Scripture how Paul interacts with this theme. All right, let's pick back up verse 19. Are you there? Philippians 2. Remember, he's talking about these two guys. He's writing from prison. He's writing the church in, in Philippi. It's about 800 miles away in Rome. And he's talking about these two guys. We read this, but I want to read it again. These two guys that mean a whole lot to him. He talks about Paul. He talks about Epaphroditus. Look what he says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, 19, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus. We looked at 21, 2021 last week. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because he's a son with his father. He's served with me in the work of the gospel. It's gospel of grace. What a son. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things are going with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon, 25. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Remember this dude, he says, i got to send him back. They had sent him to Paul with a gift. And now he's got, he's got to send him back. He says, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who's also a messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because... You heard he was ill. Yes, he was ill. He was ill. He almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me, sparing me from sorrow, sorrow upon sorrow. Look, I'm already in prison. I, I'm so thankful my friend didn't die because of that illness, because it'd be just sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, he says, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may be less anxious. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. You honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Verse 30, and everyone said of the reading of God's word, somebody say amen. amen. Now, if we pay careful attention, because some of you are saying, what does this have to do with my joy level? If we pay attention right here to what's being said, we discover four practical ways I think in which we can learn to choose gospel-fueled joy every day and how does Paul do this he points out these men he's giving examples in the lives of these men one named Timothy the other man's name was Epaphroditus I gave you last week the backdrop of this whole text I gave you the context and I'm not going to go back over it but if you missed it you got to go online and check it out but in naming the qualities of these men, Paul gives us a glimpse into how I think we can experience a rise in our joy. And so if you're going to choose, if you're going to experience, choose to experience gospel-fueled joy every day. Last week, I gave you this one. I didn't have time. I couldn't, I couldn't finish. I, I, I went a little bit too long on this first one, uh, 20 and 21. But, but uh, shift the focus away from yourself. Shift the focus away from yourself. And again, if you missed it, uh, check it out online and get caught up. But I want to pick up today where we left off. Secondly, if we're going to experience joy, don't miss this. i got some things to talk about today. If we're going to experience joy, write it down on them notes in the app. Number two, we got to extend trustworthy friendship to others. Extend trustworthy friendship to others. 
And that's verse 22. Look again. Paul says about Timothy. I love this. So he's talked about Timothy. In that first point, he's talking about Timothy again before he shifts and talks about Epaphroditus. But look what he says. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And Paul here isn't only affirming Timothy as this selfless, others-centered person whose focus in his life has been shifted away from self-centeredness. It's all about me. But, but he also tells us that Timothy, man, this dude is the real deal when it comes to being a trustworthy friend. In fact, so trustworthy that Paul says, I think of him like a son in the gospel. And I want to ask you, and this is not to heap any condemnation or guilt on you, but simply ask yourself this question. Are you a trustworthy person in the way that you live? And please, don't beat yourself up if you think the answer is no. But ask yourself right now, am I trustworthy? Do those who count on me, do they have reason to trust that I have, I'm going to use this word, integrity. I didn't say perfection. I said integrity. And if you said no, then there's hope for you, thank God, because of the gospel. You don't have to be riddled with shame and guilt and condemnation about your past. I've got good news for you today. You can start over and you can begin to build a life of integrity. As a matter of fact, some of you didn't see integrity in your father or your grandfather but listen to me you can be the one that walks in integrity you can be the one that walks by faith in Christ you can be the one that produces the fruit of the spirit in your life and that being said by by getting honest about the the, the places in your life where your flesh your unrenewed mind some of you it's just lying to you and it's lying to you in so many different areas. And I want to tell you that I have had these experiences in my own life where the Holy Spirit, thank God, has graciously shown me where I'm not living out my faith in a way that's true to my new inner man in Christ Jesus. That I'm not living out who I truly am. And the Spirit has led me, even in recent days, he's dead dealt with my heart in a deep way and he's dealing with the soil of my life the soil which really matters most above everything else you guard your heart because out of your heart flows the issues of your life some of you think you got issues with people or money or your job listen to me those aren't the issues the issues in your life come from your own heart and, and the Holy Spirit will begin to deal with deep places in my life. As a matter of fact, the other day I brought a group of 100 men together. And I just shared my heart with them. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit began to deal with me in some areas. And I shared that with them. And the Spirit has led me at times to confess. To confess to my wife or my kids, or my friends, or my staff, or whatever, that I needed their prayers. And, and, and in some cases, I needed their forgiveness. And I think this is important because some of us are living a life and we're faking our way through life and there's no integrity and there's no truth. There's a lot of deception and there's a lot of lies. You know, in the ancient Greek theater, there was a word they used, the word actor. Did you know that's actually uh, where they would use the word hypocrite? A hypocrite was actually a, a play actor. A hypocrite was somebody who wore 
a mask. And you want to know why they would wear a mask? They would wear a mask. Let me tell you why. Because they wanted to play a part. They would wear a mask, watch this, to try to protect themselves uh, or project themselves to be something other than they really are. Okay, so today our masks, let me tell you what our masks are. Our masks are called filters. And we use filters to uh, project and protect. Listen to me. To project something that we really aren't. To project something that we really aren't or protect ourselves, watch, from others seeing who we really are. Church, I'm going to say something here and I hope you hear. The voice in my voice, I'm telling you, we got to deal with it. Image management has become our culture's top priority. We put filters on everything. Let me tell you, we spend more time managing the image of our family than we do investing in the actual relationships our family consists of. Putting out there the filter, look at my family, we're so happy. We care more about our external image than we do our internal health. You want to know what's sad? We care more about a picture that folks look at looking right than our mind being right. Folks with good looking pics and minds out of control lost their mind, lost their sanity. The gospel says Jesus gives you your sanity back. He restores your soul. Some of you so caught up in image. Look at me. Look at how happy I am. You know what I realized? If you got to spend your life telling people how happy you are, you aren't happy. We put filters on every aspect of our lives, our marriages, our careers, our mental health. We want everybody to think that our image is up to par. And we don't have to do that in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, I feel this strong. It's time for some of you to go ahead and take the mask off. Because the reality is most of us already know it's not real. We can live with integrity. Notice I didn't say perfection. If I'm talking about your born-again spirit, I'll say perfection. But we can live with integrity. Not, not perfection, but real integrity. If we understand who we are in Christ. And as we increasingly become trustworthy friends. See, that's what's so sad is some of you thought you were building a relationship with someone, and the fact of the matter is you were only building a relationship with an image, not the real person. And we choose to ex experience a more joyful life when we choose diligence to become trustworthy friends who are here to help and encourage and remind you rather than judge and condemn, who are honest and authentic rather than deceivers and liars. Are y'all getting this? And thirdly, let me say this, we choose to experience more joy in our life when we write it down, come on quick, when we engage in real fellowship with believers. With believers. With believers. Verse 25 and 26. 
So now these next two characteristics, they're spoken not about Timothy, but all of a sudden he shifts now. The last two we've talked about Timothy, but now he's describing Epaphroditus, verse 25, as my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Stop right there. So again, Epaphroditus is this dude who the Philippian church sent to Paul in order to deliver a care package which included money to help him to provide for his needs while he's there in a prison in Rome. And Paul uses three relational metaphors that describe the fellowship that he enjoyed with this guy named Epaphroditus. And my God, these three things are what I want to see in the church. First, he uses that term brother. Then he calls him a fellow worker. And then he says a fellow soldier. And what Paul's saying by using these metaphors is that life as a child of God is characterized by these three things. That there's a common family. Watch this. There is a common fellowship and there is a common fight. We are a family, we are a fellowship, and we are in a fight. And when we are choosing to share in, in those three things as children of God, we are choosing now to open ourselves to work out the joy of the Lord in our lives. And for starters, this idea of being family, let me just break this down real quick. This idea of being family is huge for us to grasp. You know, some of us old school folk, we grew up in church. Old school may be the new cool. You better hear me. But back in the day, we used to call each other brother and sister so-and-so. And sometimes I wonder, maybe we ought to bring that back because I think we have lost focus on what it means to really be linked together by our spiritual bloodline in Christ. That ain't something we just say to each other. Listen, we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We've got the same father. If y'all are getting this, somebody say yes. And we live in a very, I think this is important because we live in a very individualistic culture and it's so easy to forget in the midst of all of our diversity that there is still unity. And then there's this idea of fellowship or being fellow workers, as Paul referred to his friend, fellow worker. The concept of fellowship is a Greek word that means having all things in common, pooling our efforts, pooling our resources in such a way that the vision and the values and the mission of God's church on planet earth moves forward in making disciples and growing in grace, growing in intimacy with Jesus. And I love this because we use the term fellowship so loosely today, but in Old English, do you know, it's literally pictured like this, fellowship or fellows in a ship who are rowing in unison in order to power the ship in whatever direction the captain commanded. And let me say this, it is possible to have a relationship without fellowship and you can be related to someone and never spend time with them, but it's impossible to have a life-giving relationship that brings joy into your life without fellowship. Listen, Fellowship is the fuel that relationships run on. And now more than ever, I don't know about you, but I need some fellows in my ship. <laughs> Are y'all getting this? And let me just say this, please. Our social media driven culture has attempted to redefine fellowship. And it has reduced fellowship 
to followers and friends and hearts and likes and comments and DMs. And that produces an illusion of true fellowship. And the result is what? Very shallow connections. And this is the reason we have the most connected generation in history. But at the same time, the most depressed, anxious, and lonely generation. Why is that? Because we know how to have friends on Facebook, but we don't know how to have fellowship in real life. We focus on comments instead of conversations. We settle for sharing memories instead of making memories. We spend more energy trying to capture a moment instead of enjoying the moment. True fellowship is supposed to be you enjoying what you're doing with whom you're doing it with. Are y'all getting this? I don't mean to mess with you, but some of you, I'm telling you, you know how to look at your phone and fiddle with your phone, but you can't look another human being in the eye. And then Paul speaks of what? A fight by calling him a fellow soldier. And the analogy is so obvious. Paul was in a battle and not a battle against flesh and blood. But a, a battle against principles, principalities, powers, spiritual darkness in the unseen realm. It is amazing how Paul viewed his own imprisonment. Here he is writing from prison. And he didn't like being in chains. Nobody would. But he didn't take his frustrations out on members of the government as wicked and evil as they were. In fact, he went about doing what? He went about sharing Jesus with everybody he could, including the palace guardsmen and members of Nero's own family. I wish some of you would get your eyes off of everything else and start doing what you've been put here to do, and that's extend, bring, manifest the kingdom of God in the world. Some of you sitting around waiting to get up there somewhere when the reality is we bring what's happening there right here. Everywhere you go, you ought to be bringing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If y'all are getting this, clap your hands and give God praise, and I need about 200 of you to shout, thank you. Jesus hallelujah wow and this is one of the reasons that I am working so hard to help you find a place in a gospel circle listen I love the local church I love our weekend gatherings I love doing life in rows but let me tell you what I like better I love doing life in circles so I can look you in the eye not look you in the back of the head and gospel circles are our weekday locations. And I hope you check it out on the app because we currently have now in-person and digital gospel circles and more coming to cities everywhere. As a matter of fact, we had a team last week in Atlanta getting ready to launch some gospel circles. And we have gospel circles now, I don't know, Irving, more launching in Las Colinas next month and Arlington and Dallas and North Fort Worth and Grand Prairie and Hearst, Euless, Bedford. And this week, by the way, Tuesday night, 7 p.m., I am going to be at our Louisville Gospel Circle in person. If you live in Louisville, if you live in Coppell, if you live in Grapevine, if you live in Flower Mound, you better come and join me because let me tell you something. We need to gather around this gospel. I'm telling you, all the information, all the addresses, 
We have gospel circles in other states. We even have gospel circles in other languages. Listen, we've got to get together. Listen, I'm thankful for technology. I get it. I'm grateful for technology. But some of you, let me tell you, church online is not the local church. We've got more to this thing than sitting around watching. You know what I think church online is like? It's like you watching your fire, the fireplace on your television. You may see something, but you don't get no heat. We need each other, and it's time for the church to gather. And some folks say, well, I can't. Really? You go to Walmart, you go to Costco, you go to McDonald's, but you won't gather with people. It's time for the church to get together. The army's got to get together and rise up again and be the church. If y'all getting this, somebody say yes. Hallelujah. I'm not getting on anybody, no condemnation. If you want to stay online, God bless you. It's still there. No condemnation. Thank God we can put it there. But let me tell you something. I thought about everything that we are as the church. And now they say social distance, which the church is all about union. Cover your face. That's fine. I get it. But the reality is, as a believer, everything we have is by opening our mouth and confessing. Stay away, you're not essential. Really? The church is the only essential. The only essential. For real. And that's why next month, listen, listen, thank you, church. You, I've told pastors everywhere, Calvary Church is one of the most amazing churches anywhere in the world. I said, I've had, I've had nobody... I've watched pastors get beat up because they're not saying enough and they're not doing enough. And I've had pastor friends get beat up because they're all saying too much and doing too much. And I said, Calvary is one of the most amazing churches because while we walk through this, they have prayed for me. They have stood with me. They have been faithful with me. They have continued to declare this gospel. They have, they have continued to walk by faith. I said, they're one of the most amazing churches. We have walked in unity. We have walked in great passion. We have walked with great expectation, believing that the greatest days are in front of us. Let the world say the worst. We declare the best in the name of Jesus. And so I made a decision. Look, I made a decision that next month, September, and I'll give you the date. I'm sending a letter, and I am, and I am putting out a video, and you'll see it. But next month, we're jumping from, from phase two of our reopen to phase four and I'm opening up because let me tell you something our kids need to gather again our kids need each other this church isn't just for you it's for the next generation and we're going to go ahead and we're going to open back up we have not had anything open since March and I'm asking you to pray for us and I'm asking you to trust God and we're going to move forward because I'm telling you now more than ever we need each other but this is an important one as I close right here that we got to discover what's truly worth fighting for. Write it down. That's, that's 27 through 30. And I just encourage you by saying that if you don't understand what's truly worth fighting for in this life, you are going to struggle to experience the joy of the Lord because if you're not fighting for what's truly important, you will be confused and distracted and living constantly with that feeling of not really finding your purpose and your meaning. 
Epaphroditus, he almost died of an illness as he risked his life to minister to Paul. And Paul closes out his words to the Philippians by telling them, you honor men like this because verse 30, he almost died because of the work of Christ committed to spreading this gospel. You know what I've realized? When I think about the fight that we're in, it's so easy to give first class allegiance to second class causes. And everybody seems to be out there doing something good and we can find a million different reasons to give a nickel to this group and a dime to that group. But Kim and I have decided a long time ago We're going to invest our time and our talent and our treasure into you. Into the ministry of God's kingdom, into his church and his gospel, this greatest message. Going forward through this local church, knowing what you are fighting for allows you to remain in what you are resting in. And if you don't truly know what you are fighting for, do you know what I realize? You will spend your time, talent, and energy on everything you're fighting against. Those commodities are too precious to me and my wife to waste them fighting battles that we aren't even called to. Some of you are so distracted. And sometimes I take my eye off the ball too and, and I allow myself to get in, kind of embroiled in the tyranny of lesser pursuits. But graciously and faithfully, my God brings me back into focus and I remember that he's put me here for a purpose that is much greater than myself. And some days I wonder, is it worth it? Like Paul, is it worth it? And he reminds me, it's worth it. And I'm simply talking about you beginning to live missionally and redemptively and gratefully. I'm not trying to put more on you. I'm saying look at where you are. Look at the routines that God has already put you in. And I'm saying you need to add Am I saying you got to add something else to your schedule? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying take a look at what you're already doing, what God has given you, positioned you for, and ask him to show you how to use it redemptively as a vessel in bringing light and life and love into a world that desperately needs you. Did you know the Philippian church was about 800 miles from Rome? There's no... There, there, there's, there's, no, there's no trains, planes, no automobiles. You know how Epaphroditus had to get there? Walk. 800 miles. Do you know what that is? That's the entire length of Texas. 800 miles. Hijackers, thieves, disease, sickness, weather conditions, wild animals, risk of starvation, dehydration. And yet this man knew what he was fighting for. And here we are. I'm sorry, church. I don't know why I'm here today. But here we are in this cushy culture by comparison of the 21st century asking questions like, but what do I have to give and what do I have to do for this gospel and you mean I have to invest? And again, this is not about trying to make anyone feel guilty or manipulate. It's just that when we read a text like this and we begin to appreciate what our brothers and sisters in the early church endured to take the gospel around the world, we can't help but see a greater perspective if we are paying attention. 
you're afraid to go across the street and people were willing by the power of the Holy Spirit to get up and take this thing to everyone, every day, everywhere. And there's a world that needs it. And if the church believes it, clap your hands and give God praise right now. Come on. Lift up your hands, every one of you. Come on. In the name of Jesus, let those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of God is saying now to the church. May there be a deep awakening on the inside of you, even as you've heard. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.